Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studio, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm Bull Hagen. I'm Berg. And Pete's here. Hey, Pete. Uh, Vicar is still out deer hunting. Can you believe that? Yeah, he is the deer slayer, so hopefully at least. Yes. Yes. All right, right, let's not make it sound like he's been dead deer hunting for two weeks straight. Okay, we're recording this immediately after. Come on, I I want him to be be out in the woods like Jack London. He cannot come back until I get a nice deer loin for my crock pot. That's kind of the rule. (laughs) Vicar goes out and hunts, pays tribute to me. Right? Has, Has he promised you meat? Well, yeah. I mean, he doesn't want to be stuck with all that deer meat. No. <laughs> no, he actually, like, they count on it. That's like, if they get a couple of deer, they don't buy any beef all year. Yeah. So, do you are you have you ever hunted deer? Yeah, I have. Um, it is it's fun. I mean, you know, I uh, I I don't know. I I enjoy it, but I just can you can I, I'll tell you a story of one thing I learned about myself this week. Yeah. That would it's just a pure good example why I would be a horrible deer hunter. Okay? Okay. So, empty tank, go to the gas station, right? Mhm. Pump takes a little longer than normal. For me, that was unbearable. I stopped, okay? I didn't fill up the tank. I stopped at 3 quarters of a tank just because I couldn't wait for the <laughs> It was making me so angry and it was so boring. Oh my god. I could not finish gassing up my tank. <laughs> I said, come on. Yeah, there's no I'll way. I'll do you this could, again in a week. There's no way you could sit in a tree stand. Yeah. So imagine that person waiting in a, waiting for a deer to happen to walk by. Although, you know, like up in Minnesota, what we do what we did is we would walk fields. Mm-hmm. You know, so you'd scare one up. Yep, that'd be something you probably would. You probably would like pheasant hunting better, or fox hunting with the with the horses. The horses, yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, or the bare knuckle thing. Right, right. Your bare handed uh, buck wrestling. Yeah, just pounce so. on it. <laughs> mano y mano, man. It's gonna That's happen. True. So I'm not sure I'm gonna bear hunt that way. Maybe a maybe a brown bear turkey hunting that way would be pretty amazing. Wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm gonna get you, man. But but don't they have spurs? I ain't scared no spur. I ain't scared. <laughs> oh boy. All right. So um <laughs> this is the third Sunday in Advent, known as Gaudete, right? Or mm-hmm. Gaud Gaudet Gau Gau. Yes. It comes from the Latin meaning swollen ankles. Yes. Yes, I wanna say yes. <laughs> it means rejoice, right? Yes. It's the imperative. Now, do you guys have the traditional? Do you have all blue candles, or do you do? Yeah, we got uh, we got the the pink one. Okay, you do. Okay, we uh, you know we do the violet and the and the rose. So, oh, I'm sorry. You know, rose. Yes, it's rose colored. If you want to call it pink, you can call it pink. But it is my spirit animal. So, what's the color? And this is really one of the because. Advent and Lent are two penitential seasons, right? Yes. I'm having a mini Coke from my fridge. I'm sorry. I'm. It's getting rough. Right. I talked about ADD, and then it just starts kicking in. You know what? My confirmation kids and I were having discussion because I have this mini fridge with mini Cokes. Yes. And we had, when class was over, we weren't wasting class time in that, like a five or ten minute discussion on why it is that the little cans taste so much better. And... We almost came to a consensus that because you know it's a little can, right, that you take your time and you sip it and you enjoy the flavor because it's going to go too quickly if you just guzzle it down. But then one of the kids, he he grabs his, he chugs it, and he says, nope, that still tastes really good. So it's up in the air. Yeah. You know, for me, and maybe I'm a weirdo here, I can't actually get through like a normal can of soda. Yeah, I just get tired of it. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. A little I get can through half, nice. maybe two thirds of it, and then I'm like, you know, 
that's enough. But then I feel like I kind of have to drink it. So I just like chug the rest of it, you know? So how is that different than like a 32 ounce with a straw from come and go? Uh, it's watered down with ice and stuff, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. Like I wonder if I, if I got it out of a can and then watered it down, if it was better. You know what I mean? Like it's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, I don't drink that much pop. And when I do, I, I don't know. I don't really finish the can very much where I can drink tons and tons of coffee. So. Right. So you're talking about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, the church year or something like that. Um, so this is one of the, well, this is one of the two Sundays where it's kind of like the halfway point between Advent and we have one in um, Lent too. It's called Latare. That's the mm -hmm. fourth Sunday in, in, um, in uh, Lent. And these are the the pyramids change. It gets a little brighter. Um, the penitence it's still there, but it's really muted. Mm -hmm. And these are days of kind of rejoicing and um, kind of refilling, mm -hmm. you know, kind of refreshment. Because there is an, an aspect to repentance um, that Advent actually picks up that uh, you repent and you rejoice that there's a God who hears your repentance. You know, it's not a silent God. You repent and you rejoice that the kingdom of God is near and you repent because there he is. Yep. You know what I'm saying? There's mm -hmm. a... There's and, a... And that is the epistle text, I believe, right? For uh, for, yes. for that for that Sunday. Oh, where's Vicar when you need him? So... Not killing God's beautiful creations when he should be no, reading this text uh, to us. It's not. That's the fourth Sunday oh. in Advent is the... Uh, Philippians, right? Rejoice in the Lord yeah. always. Um, this is Romans 15. Uh, or 1 Corinthians First uh, Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. Which, uh, oh, wait, 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 you're right. I was back a Sunday. I was still on from last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, so this Sunday is kind of a refreshing Sunday, um, before you jump back into Advent and the fasting um, to get ready for Christmas, right? Just And we have the same thing uh, in Lent before Judica and then Passiontide and Holy Week, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a interesting worry. This is where you really get John the Baptist, but you don't— and the th this is a big difference between the three-year and the one-year. The, the three-year, you usually get John the Baptist and what he actually—his ministry and what he says— you know, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah, and this one, John is already in jail. Right. <laughs> right. So our text for today is Matthew 11, 2 through 10. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered and said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, John, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So, um, obviously, uh, you know, the one thing that... Do we, do, we have, do we have to do the old tire debate? Well, was John sincere or was he not? I don't want to, yeah. Okay. That's, that's, I mean... <laughs> Every time this text brought up, you know... Does it, does it matter? Not really. I mean, I don't think it changes the substance of the text. And, because, and, because ultimately Jesus points the disciples of John and John too to what the Old Testament promised the Savior would look like. And Jesus is saying, in a sense, I am that fulfillment of the Old Testament, pro Testament prophets who said, I would heal the sick, raise the dead, have the good news preached to them. Look what I'm doing. I am fulfilling what the scriptures say. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that you can say is the validity of, validity of scriptures. He does point to his miraculous things that he's doing, 
but only insofar as they point to how they fulfill the Old Testament prophecy to show that, yes, he is the one. And so this text does, in a very beautiful way, point our eyes to remember the fullness of Scripture. How do I know? How do I know Jesus is the one when we're dealing with dark times where you can't see him, when you struggle just like, uh, you know, you don't see the victories and of any kind around you, you know, our churches aren't full like they used to be, and they had to open the overflow, and they wonder, well, where is Jesus in that? Well, what do you hear? You hear Jesus. You hear his word. You hear his promise in the Lord's Supper. Are you or have the good news preached to them. Right, the good news preached to them. Are you offended by that? Are you offended by his simplicity? Yeah, and the word there is scandalizo. Right, scandalized. Right. Are you scandalized by Jesus? Are you stumbling over the things that he's telling you? Right. And and then the reason, because the question that people always come back to is, why did he have to be so simple or humble about this? Do you know what I mean? Why can't he just show his power? Well, because his power would slay everybody. Yeah, and he needed to be, right? This is his humility. Jesus isn't a lone ranger going off and doing whatever he wants to do. Out of his great love for his Father and for us, he is the perfect, obedient Son. Even though he has all knowledge, even though he has all authority, uh, by virtue of being God, um, he takes on the form of a servant, and he only speaks what his Father, his Heavenly Father, tells him to speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing, right, that... This shows how humble and obedient he is, uh, even though he could just start talking because he's God, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't do that, right? He is, once again, fulfilling all things um, as, uh, like Deuteronomy 18 says, right? Like, um, he shall have my words, and I will speak them mm -hmm. to, you know, this is the prophet like Moses, right? And... and, and and another, there's another aspect that, that I actually think about a lot, too. And it might come across my pe preaching as well. And that is, if Jesus was the kind that everyone was expecting and, and showed his great power and might in a way that would frighten, and everyone, oh, see, now this is where, now we have the truth before us, now we will do what we're told, in a sense. Is that a way that creates love for God? Maybe fear, but not love. That's right. Fear. Uh, and not the, not the kind that the Old Testament is talking about, like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm -hmm. This would just be slavish fear. Because when you look at the Bible, actually loving God is very important. Fear and love God. Yep. And uh, when, when, when uh, Israel, for example, when they were idolatrous, how does God describe himself? As a husband who's been scorned. Right. Right. He's, his concern is not just the fact that his wife cheated on him. He's concerned about the heart. Mm -hmm. Your heart is with them. Yep. He's, you know, he says, I am a jealous God. Um, and that's, and so if it was just Jesus showing us in a way, who he was, and everyone saw his power and then was obedient to him and did what they were told. That does not teach love, to love God. And the only way really to do that, to give for, is through the gospel, to change your hearts, mm -hmm. ultimately. And going off this Word of God theme that, you know, probably should be preached about this Sunday, um, you know— we move from what is to be preached to who preaches it, right? We move to John. Jesus talks about his preacher, John. What does John do? John is not a reed shaken by the wind. He doesn't bend to popular opinion or to the signs of the times. Uh, he's not a man with rich clothing, mm -hmm. right? Because otherwise he would be with kings and with the elite, you know, um, kind of maintaining the status quo. But instead... Uh, he speaks very highly of John, that John is his angel, his messenger, who will prepare the way before him, right? And this pairs really, really well 
with our uh, epistle text, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, where Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they should be found faithful. But with me, it is very a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pr- pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will, inc- and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So this brings us, you know, really into a contemporary setting of how do you deal with your pastor, right? Mm-hmm. How should you deal with your pastor? If John was the messenger, if he was the angel sent by God and foretold in the sacred scriptures, what do the sacred scriptures say about pastors now? Well, it says that we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And what is required of these stewards? To be faithful, Mm -hmm. right? That means doing what God's word says. So... I'm reminded of the, the old saying... I don't know if you understand if you've heard this before. Um, I think it might come from uh, from uh, a Scandinavian. I'm not sure. It's it's uh, don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, that sounds Scandinavian to me. Is that so? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, it means don't hate the person. Right. Be, you know, hate the situation. He, he's, or he, the... he's doing what the game says he's doing. Right. He might be beating you at basketball. Or whatever they play in Scandinavia, um, but you know, ice hockey or ice hockey, right? Bear or, wrestling, um, uh, uh, curling, curling. There you go. Maybe or uh, well, usually those strongmen kind of guys they come from that area. Yep. You know, so the whole idea is you don't hate the the person who's defeating you. He's just playing the game. Yeah. You're upset with the. You're actually upset with God. Right. So don't hate the pastor. Yeah. Well, and it's really, yeah, you might hate the pastor, but who do you who are you really hating? <laughs> I mean, really. Right. I mean, that's it, why the yeah. example I gave what I I did, the fine Scandinavian. Right. Proverb, mm-hmm. aphorism, whatever you want to say, <laughs> right? Because uh, you know, to reject John was to reject Jesus. To judge Paul was to judge Jesus. And to judge Jesus is to judge the Father, and you don't want to be in that position. And so that's the thing. So when you are dealing with your pastor, um, the question you should always ask is, is he being faithful to what God has sent him to do? Is he preaching and teaching according to the Word of God? Um, You might not like how he combs his hair. You might not have the kind of personality that you really want. But ultimately, that is not that is an invalid reason for judging him, right? The only thing you can judge him on is doctrine, and really, that's the only thing he judges you on. Right, that's I, actually given to him by God. That, that's why we had a couple episodes where we looked at ordination vows. Do you remember that? Right. Well, you know, what is he a pastor? What is he promising to do? What is his job? Right. And uh, it's good to be reminded of that, right? And that's why this whole Sunday is really about the Word of God and the one who preaches it. Um, you know, the people recognize that Jesus is the Christ by the Scriptures. Well, how do you recognize who a true shepherd is? How do you recognize who a false shepherd is? Right. By what they preach. Right. Right? Um, and uh, so, and Jesus himself gives us the sort of example or the precedent because He's he's never speaking on his own authority, but he's always speaking on the authority of the scriptures. Scripture, right? And, and you know, we we kind of joked about we don't want to have a debate about whether John was sincere or not. But you know, if you were to hold the fact that he himself was struggling, I mean, that's that's the job. That's what a preacher does. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, the the questions that he says, "Are you the one? Should I look for another?" Every single pastor goes through a time where it's like, what is going on? And even if he isn't struggling with that question himself, even if he does know, he sees, he knows his ministry is over, right? He knows his ministry is over, 
because he's in jail, he's going to mm-hmm. get his head chopped off, right? And he's thinking about his parishioners. Mm-hmm. His parishioners who oftentimes love the preacher more than they love the message. Right. They they love John more than they love Jesus. And you know, so either way you preach it, right? John is preparing them for a time without him. It's interesting because some people never got over that. They're a Gnostic sect called the Mandeans, and they actually uh, believe that John the Baptist was the real Christ and that Jesus is like a devilish... Still? Are there still Mandeans? Yeah. Yeah, there are. It's like Ethiopia, Africa area? uh, Iraq. So they're actually a lot more now in the United States. Really? That is the power of John's personality. That would would be a, a fun conversation for you, wouldn't it? If you having a conversation with a die-in-the-wool Mandean. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think a lot mm-hmm. of them have... Uh, do we know Do we know much about uh, John the Baptist's disciples? Um, we know that they were active in the diaspora, in the Jewish communities that were scattered throughout the Mediterranean, because in Ephesus we meet, um, you know, the men who were baptized by John's baptism, but we even see there that it's been corrupted because they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, um, so so we see that they that these followers were very, very, uh, you know, they had a man crush on John. <laughs> right. I mean, to use, you know, very kind of gross, you know, language, modern language, I hate it, but, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, they were so impressed by his personality, uh, even Apollos, right? Apollos was instructed in the way of John, mm-hmm. Right but he didn't teach the way of truth accurately, right? Which is why Priscilla and Aquila kind of had to take him aside and instruct him privately, right? Right. So we do see kind of these outcroppings of John's preaching that people not only remembered, but they also kept doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, it, is, it is a testament to what a powerful preacher he actually was. Right, he's more than a prophet. Right. Um, and this is why... Uh, John does everything in his power to say, he must increase, I must decrease. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, honestly, there are a lot of people, even today, right? And we're not nearly John's, right? But who love our personalities mm-hmm. more than they love the preaching of Jesus. Right. And that is, you know, and I think that's something every pastor needs to prepare for because we don't know you know we might get a call we might mm-hmm. get sick we might die i i can say that that's the, one of the beauties of having a vicarage program is and you've listener you've here heard we've had we're on our fourth vicar on the podcast right like you've heard that they're also very different very different personalities right and yet there's a consistency Right, and, and the people and appreciate the one thing, that. And the one thing that it needs to be consistent in. Right, right, and the people have noticed that. They, we've had so many different personalities, ways of doing things, and yet uh, they, they can say without a doubt with each one that there, is, there has been consistency. Right, so those are the things to look at. Those are the things for pastors to prepare for, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this would actually be a great farewell sermon, honestly. Sure. Right? Because that's what John is doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, that I guess that's the way that I normally take it is John is decreasing, and pretty soon he's going to decrease by a head. Right. <laughs> right? Um, and he is preparing his disciples for for Jesus. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I heard something once. Tell me what you think about that. Like, if your head gets chopped off, that it stays conscious for 20 seconds. I've heard that, too. I don't know how you would test that. <laughs> can you hear me well, blink once? If you- <laughs> Yeah, that's what they did. They would say, if you can understand me, open and close your mouth or something like that. Oh, man. That is horrifying. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Ugh. Now I kind of want to Google it and see, but I don't really want to Google it and see. <laughs> Yeah, because the brain, the blood stays in your brain for long enough. Yeah, that I mean, you think of like the guillotine and stuff, like, like, because wh- it would hurt, wouldn't it? 
I'm guessing. Like, yeah, uh, shock would be fast enough that that's probably it true. Oofda. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Execution, man, can kind of get you down. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what the Middle Ages were good at. Um. Actually, I think the Luther's Day, and after. Yeah, you know, I mean, then they, they do things where like they'd hang people and let them be eaten by birds and. Oh yeah, the gibbets. Yeah, like in England, England was terrible. Like, there was a lot of bad stuff, and I mean, I won't say that that wasn't a violent time. The thing is, is like, in the twentieth century, we got so much better at it. <laughs> like, I mean, we killed millions of people through right. starvation, through Zyklon B in the concentration camps. Um, you look at, and the worst thing is, is like with torture, we can p- keep people alive so much better. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like, you know, we look back at those times as barbaric and it's like, yeah, we're just as bad. <laughs> we're probably worse because right. we're just so much more efficient at it. So. Or we, you know, we put something in someone on death row for 30 years. I was that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. That's a I good dark know. turn. Yeah. This is supposed to be a joyful Sunday, Bullhagen. Come on. <laughs> I tried to keep it light and joyful, so. Well, it's, yeah. Role reversal. So, so speaking of the government. Yes. So, uh, I had this idea. Berg has a sermon about, because we were going to talk about uh, the fourth commandment. I talked about recently about, uh, I did a top 12 list for parents, mm-hmm. what it specifically means for parents, but it also means something for the government. So, uh, Berg wrote a sermon. You preached this how long ago, would you say? Uh, this was the Sunday after Reformation. So that'd be September 7th? Uh, uh, or not September. November. Reformation? November uh, 7th? November 7th. So, because uh, Reformation was on October 31st. We celebrated All Saints Day uh, on um, Wednesday of that week on November 3rd, and then I preached um, this sermon, which is Trinity, what, 23? Mm-hmm. Tr- Trinity 23 on uh, November 7th, so not too terrible long ago. Maybe a month, right? So, Peter, uh, I was thinking, uh, the first idea was, Bullhagen reads a Berg sermon. Okay? And, uh, and then, Peter, I was thinking about making this real talk. You mean you mean like the whole sermon? Kinda. Then Berg can stop me, like when he wants to make a comment on the brilliance of his own sermon. Because that doesn't sound prideful at all. So you want you want you want music going through the entire sermon? Yeah. Remember, I, this is someone with focus, right? Okay, so that's not. I don't know. I feel like that might get grading though. After for a full sermon. Uh, I don't know. Berg, what do you think? I guess I really don't have any strong opinions on it, so... <laughs> he doesn't want to get dragged into this. It's true. We're doing it, Peter. I don't know. Well, what if we? What if Berg's interjections are the real talk? Oh. Yeah, that, that could work. Will you have... An, will you get... Will you get... The thing is, Berg, will you get amped up enough to, like, interject? Yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. All right. So right. Bullhagen reads Berg's sermon, and then Berg interjects Bullhagen's reading of Berg's sermon with real talk. All right. All right. So should we read the text so people realize what the right. uh, what the service sermon is about? Okay. So here's the gospel reading for Trinity twenty three. Uh, it's Matthew twenty two fifteen through twenty two. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought to him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Okay. So this is going to be 
uh, a segment where Bullhagen reads Berg's sermon and then Berg real talks. Awesome. All right. The sermon <coughs> as given. Grace, mercy, comma, etc. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, my gosh. Ah. Yada, yada. Uh, dot, dot, dot. And so on and so forth. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. But that's Peter. That's, uh, yeah, that's what's that's what's printed. <laughs> Glad you're following your instructions. <clears throat> Here we go. Last week, we celebrated the Reformation. The Reformation was necessary for emphasizing the central article that we are justified or declared righteous by faith alone in Christ's vicarious satisfaction. But the Reformation also cleared up many issues, especially relating to church and state. Lutherans taught that the Lutherans taught what the Bible taught on the relationship of church and state. Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom where Christ rules by his word and by his preaching. The other is the political kingdom. In this political kingdom, we can use the present and legitimate laws in the nation in which we live. Just like we can use medicine or the art of building or food, drink, air, so too do we Christians use the present laws for peace and tranquility. The gospel does not destroy the state. The gospel does not destroy the family. The gospel does not bring with it new civil laws. No. The gospel brings eternal benefits while the state deals with worldly matters. Today, we will ponder what it means to give give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Number one, what things belong to Caesar? Number two, what things belong to you? And number three, what things belong to God? All right. So obviously this first part. Hey, wait, wait. What did you need to say? Yeah. Real talk. Real. T- yeah. Yeah. Get into it, Berg. Real talk. So obviously this first part has to do with um, two kingdoms, three estates, all that good stuff. And uh, I know the number two might seem a little strange, the what things belong to you. But I think that's a big part of what this is talking about oh yeah because we say you know we especially now my freedom and all this stuff yeah and there are actually are things that god gives to you right, right. and uh that should be taken away and these are corollaries right when jesus says render to things of you know the uh, render to caesar the things that are caesar's that means that there are things that are caesar's but the corollary to that is there are things that don't right belong to caesar so uh, I figured with uh, our contemporary issues going on today, that this would be a. Uh, that's why I use this instead of like All Saints Day. Sure. Which seems to be pretty traditional all the way around. So, real talk out. To give Caesar what is Caesar's is justice. It is justice when we give to everybody what he is owed. So, what do we owe Caesar? What do we owe the government? We owe Caesar honor. We see in the fourth commandment, we see this in the fourth commandment. We are to honor our parents and other authorities. Honor is different from love. We are called to love our neighbors, but we are not called to honor them. To honor someone is to recognize that God has given them dignity. They are to be respected. They are to be treated with modesty, humility, and deference. To honor them is to esteem them very highly, and that next to God, we regard them at the very highest. Caesar is owed honor. St. Paul says in Romans 13, verse 4, that Caesar, the government, is God's minister. God, through Moses, says in Exodus 22, verse 28, that you shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. And we also see that honor in Psalm 82. This is a psalm where God speaks judgment against the rulers. God gave them dignity and ascribed to them great honor. These rulers were God's representatives. In fact, God said to them, you are God's. That's how much honor and respect the rulers are owed. But they didn't do their duty. They were to defend the poor and the fatherless. They were to judge justly. But they didn't. They were tyrants. And so God tells them that you shall die like men. Therefore, we ought not call our politicians liars. 
we are not to call Washington, Washington D.C. a swamp. When we speak of our rulers in this way, we are being unjust. We are not giving them what they are owed. We are not honoring them, but we are dishonoring them. And when we dishonor them, we dishonor God. We sin. We honor our rulers not because of their persons, which are sinful, but because of the majesty that God has attached to their office. All right, real talk. So I uh, added this part in uh, because I, I do think that there there isn't a lot of honor being given to our uh, politicians, to our rulers today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, like when they call uh, our president Sleepy Joe, which is kind of funny, mm-hmm. right, which is why they say it, it is, it's wrong, right? I mean, it is. It's wrong. Right. It, it's wrong. It's a sin. Uh, I'm not against calling politicians out for being liars when they actually are being liars, when it can be proven. Right. Uh, but this sort of wholesale disrespect for authority figures is, I think, a particular problem that afflicts us Americans. And uh, we need to stop that. We need to stop that. We actually need to have honor for the office. I think one one thing that, that makes this difficult is the fact that on the one hand, too, part of our government system, the way it is held up, is the fact that the people do have a voice. Mm-hmm. And so there's a line of how much do we respect them when we also desire to vote them out, for example? How much do we c- convince others that when election times time comes, you vote them out? The very nature of the political animal can lend itself to this very thing, though. Yeah, this very disrespect. I mean, it's kind of like when they said with President Trump, he's not my president. Well, actually, he is your president. Right. Uh, or, or when they called him Trump. I, that was actually disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, they call, you know, President Biden, Mr. Biden. Right. And so the whole point is, is that uh, you have to show respect and honor to the office even if you don't particularly care for the person. Right. And when it comes to then election time, something that we have very much trouble doing is making it about ideas. Right. Content. You know what I mean? It's all becomes uh, the person, who that guy is, rather than what is that going guy going to do? What does he consider is best for the economy or for the military or for whatever? We just attack people rather than... Because, like, if you look at... Uh, scriptures, like in Daniel, for example, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is a terrible man mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, bloodthirsty, prideful, and yet Daniel and the three young men show great respect to him and great honor toward him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that should be our model. Kind of like in the New Testament when, uh, you know, St. Peter asks Christians to pray for the emperor. Well, who was the emperor at that time? Nero. Nero was a terrible man. Not a good guy. Right? But And yet, we are to pray for them. We are to respect their office because when we do so, we honor their office, we honor God. Real talk out. By the way, it's, it's and I'm sure the listener will agree, it's very interesting how you can really hear Berg's voice in the in the sermon. Even like though you it's can, me? Yeah, you can tell how he would read it, if that makes any sense. Sure. It's hard. It's hard to put into words, but I bet you, like Hannah's going to message me and say, "Yeah, you're totally right." <laughs> Continuing on, Caesar is owed taxes. Saint Paul says in Romans thirteen seven, "Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor." Since the government is established for the benefit of society and for the protection of the defense, also of the believers, we should cheerfully pay the money necessary for its support. The government has a right to levy personal and property taxes. It is the Christian's duty to pay the taxes. Evasion of this duty is sinful. The government has a right to collect duty on merchandise exported or imported, and the Christian coming under such ruling will render the payment exacted. Jesus paid taxes with Peter, and so too do we Christians pay taxes. We pay taxes and we do not grumble about it, not because we fear punishment. No, we love God, and we see him working in our good, for our good behind our rulers. 
Render to Caesar Caesar's things. That's clear. It also is clear that we are the. there are things that do not belong to Caesar. There are things that belong to us. We have been given to, that have been given to us by God. Caesar cannot demand my life and everything that goes with it, like the health of my body. Caesar would then be breaking the fifth commandment because I have done nothing to deserve death. It would be an injustice for Caesar to, to deprive me of my life or to harm my health. Let the hearer understand. My family also belongs to me. They have been given to me by God. Caesar has no right to take away my wife or to take away my son. This does not just extend to their physical bodies, but also to their education. We see this going on in Virginia right now. Governor Terry McAuliffe blurted out during a debate that I am not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decisions. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. We saw similar things during COVID, when teachers were afraid to teach because parents might be listening. This is an injustice. Parents are the primary educators of their children. Parents have every right and responsibility to take government schools to task. Here, Caesar is overstepping. He is demanding that parents abdicate their roles. It would be unjust and a sin for you parents to let Caesar take what is yours. These are your children. God has given them to you. It is your right and your responsibility for them to be educated in Christ's words and in worldly matters. That means you cannot keep your heads in the sand. Know what your schools are teaching. Get on the school board. Advocate for godly and rational change. Or send them to a place where you know they will be taught the Bible and well-educated in temporal matters. That's your job. My property also belongs to me. The Ten Commandments say you shall not steal. This is the clearest preaching of personal property. My property is my own. Caesar has no right to take it from me. And we see this in scriptures too. In 1 Kings chapter 21, Naboth was not willing to sell his vineyard to King Ahab at any price. This is why eminent domain was sinful. They shouldn't have forced people to sell their land or divide their land so that interstate could go through. This is why inheritance tax is sinful. Taxes have already been paid, so why should the bereaved have to pay even more? This is ultimately why socialism is sinful too. Socialism seeks to commonly own the means of production by taking it away from private hands. That's stealing. Caesar oversteps. This is why we ought to oppose these things on a county level, a state level, and on a federal level. All right, real talk. So these are the things uh, that I see today that are going on uh, that we really have to talk about. Um, the fifth, seventh, the fifth and seventh commandments, for example, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the fourth for parents, because parents have a duty to their children. Um, with my body, Caesar can't, shouldn't be able to force me to do anything that might harm my body. We know that uh, oftentimes people have reactions to vaccines, mm-hmm. right? Uh, no one should be forced to put something in their body that might harm them. Right. I mean, this is the application here. And no one should be uh, forced to get a vaccine in order to go to work. Such a thing is sinful. Caesar is overstepping in this way. Same thing with the kids, right? Um, mm-hmm. And all this stuff was in the news, actually, when this was going on uh, about uh, Governor McAuliffe, right, in Virginia. He mm-hmm. was actually voted out, um, where he said that parents should have no uh, say in what schools teach. Right. right. Um, we see the same thing happening on a local level uh, all over the United States. You right. know? And so these things belong to us. And these things ought to be resisted when the government tries to do things like eminent domain or an inheritance tax or tries to force the kids to learn stuff that parents either have no idea about right. or are adamantly opposed to. Right. So... Um, 
these are very specific applications of God's word here. Right. Which I think we actually have to talk about. Because parents are the ones charged to teach their children. Right. And, and the school acts as a servant of the parents. Right. And I'm not saying, like, this is in, you know, cases where there is no emergency. Okay? So, like, if Caesar drafted me because we are in a war for our country's survival, of course Caesar has uh, the duty to draft me. Right. Right? But COVID is not a pandemic. Right. It's not. Right? It is, this is something that we need to get over. Okay? It is like the flu. Okay? Right. It's kind of like, too, when... When Caesar said, uh, "Let's close churches." Right. I mean, this is where C- C- this is where Caesar oversteps. Right. We owe Caesar honor. We owe Caesar taxes. We do not owe him our bodies. We do not owe him our children. And we do not owe him our property. We'll talk out. Caesar is owed honor, taxes, customs. Caesar owes us our lives, our families, and our property. That's his job. His job is to protect those gifts of God which we have been given. Now we move on to things that belong to God. God is owed fear, love, and trust above all things. That means that God is owed faith. God is God. He is owed primacy of place. We may be subject to Caesar, but both we and Caesar are subject to God. Caesar is not secular. Caesar owes God fear, love, and trust. Caesar owes God's faith. That's justice. There is no separation of church and state. There's a distinction, yes, but there is no separation. Either Caesar is a godly Christian or he is not. Either Caesar teaches a true religion or he teaches a false religion. He is not neutral. Caesar owes God fear, love, and trust. And that is why, as Christians first and Americans second. We only provisionally accept the First Amendment. God comes first. The First Commandment cannot overturn, be overturned by the First Amendment. We do not believe in the freedom of religion because that is a freedom to demon worship or a freedom to do great evil. As Christians, we use the First Amendment so that the gospel has free course. But we must never accept the free exercise of religion in an absolute sense. For how can truth dwell with lies? How can light coexist with darkness? God is owed the right use of his name. God's name ought to be used for oaths. God's name ought to be used in prayer. God's name ought to be used to teach what the Bible teaches. This is true of Caesar, just as as it is of private Christians. This is why we used to have blasphemy laws, and they were right. Cursing is a sin. It should be punished. False teaching is a sin, and it should be punished. That's what our Lutheran forefathers did. Their princes were right to stop false teachers in their territories. That was their job. And we can see this in the Old Testament too, where Hezekiah and Josiah eradicated false teachings in their kingdom. And remember, it was the princes, not the pastors, who signed their names to our first confession, the Augustana. God is also owed right worship. The highest form of worship is not praising God. That's what many think, but they are in error. We don't come to the church to simply praise God. We do that out out in the world as we work at our jobs and in our families and faith. No, the highest form of worship is receiving the forgiveness of sins in faith. Isn't that what Psalm 51.17 says? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. That's the whole point. We come to the church to diligently and gladly hear God's word because that is the only thing that saves us from eternal death. Faith clings to the forgiveness of sins. Faith clings to the promise that God is reconciled to us by the death of Christ. True and right worship of God always begins and ends with faith. Faith must be fed. Faith must hear Christ's word. Faith must receive the sacrament of the altar. 
This is faith's lifeblood. This is faith's food and drink. These are the means that our gracious Father in heaven has given to us so that we might be saved and dwell with him forever in bliss. And that is why Caesar was unjust when he closed down the churches as non-essential. Church is essential. Church is commanded. It's not the third option. It's the third commandment. And God commands us so that we might be saved. We gather so that faith might be created and strengthened. And it is only by faith, as through an instrument, that we receive the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. We now know what we owe Caesar. We now know what we owe, do not owe Caesar. But most especially, we know what we owe God. He has given us everything. He has given us our lives, families, and property. He has given us Caesar so that these gifts might be protected. Above all, God has given us his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Yeah, it was a fun one to do. So, what do you think there? <laughs> oh, Megan? it was good, yeah. Yeah, how, how did I read? <laughs> yeah, you did a good is job. Is it weird to hear someone read your own sermon? It is. It's strange. Because I, I have, I'm, I might have different am- emphases that you do when you're reading. Right. But anything else you want to say? About, I like it. I like uh, how you cover all your bases. Well, and a I, lot of it was just the third, com- you know, first, second, third commandments. Mm-hmm. You know, really, fourth uh, commandment, fifth commandment, seventh commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really, and this is how we as Christians ought to be thinking about our lives. Right. Um, we need to be able to take these general axioms and be able to apply them to concrete situations. Right. Um, especially because otherwise, uh, it's not good when Caesar oversteps. It's not good for us. It's not good for God, and it's not good for Caesar either. Right. Um, and so that's why that idea of justice, giving everybody what he or she is owed, is so very important. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, uh, and that we are being unjust when we don't give those things. Right. You know, um, and uh, and to be unjust is to sin, you know? Right. How, how you we talked about the, that old Scandinavian uh proverb does that play in here the same discussion don't hate the player hate the game yeah i mean i think especially in the distinction between person and office it does mm-hmm. um you know and it also ties into to the responsibility of families and individuals right because mm-hmm. uh the family you know like, like our confessions even say right that all authority uh, is derived from the office of parent, of father, mm-hmm. right? Um, what is government but a bunch of fathers getting together to make sure that families aren't at war with one another? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the pastor but a spiritual father for his children who are born through the gospel, right? Right. I mean, uh, and, you know, people don't do these things perfectly, right? And that's yeah. why we need clear and solid teaching on these things, right? We can't just say, oh, well, the government can do whatever it wants, you know, obey the government blindly. Well, no. We, we generally find, try to find the easiest route to do things. That's kind of our nature. It is. and But that is not what God actually requires of us. God actually requires us to struggle with these things and to think through these things. And to, and so that's why this was actually such a joy to, to write, because it made me go through, okay, well, maybe there are things— because I was just thinking of doing a two-point sermon of, okay, this belongs to right. Caesar, th- this belongs to God, and it's like, right. well, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I, I saw a lot of your 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 casuistry type thinking in this when we went through that about how, where what does God's word say? Where does it say it's most most clearly? What are some big biblical examples that lead our thoughts? Right, um, you know, and like all of the things that I've mentioned have touched the 
people of my congregation, like the eminent domain stuff. When the interstate was going through in the 70s, uh, there were a lot of people who did not want it, and they fought that battle for a long time, and it cut up their land. You know? it. it then there's that kind of discussion a little bit with the wind farm, too, type stuff. Right. You know, so those are things, like, we actually have to talk about. These are things we actually have to discuss and wrestle with and uh, apply God's Word in a very concrete way, you know? Right. Um, so that's that's the thing. Uh, as Christians, this, this is something, you know, and what really scares me uh, with a lot of Christians today is that it is their politics that drives their religion. Right. And not their religion that drives their politics, right? Um, and we see this across the board. There's a uh, there's a podcast called um, "The Art of Manliness," and they talk about the religious nuns, N O N E S, like those right. who don't claim any sort of religion or affiliation. Um, and in this podcast, he talks about how people join churches now because of their political orientation rather than what they teach. So what's really the driving force? It's their politics. Right. It's not their religion. It's making a god in their own image. Right. They're saying, I have my opinion on those th- on these various issues. So obviously God would have the same opinion, since I'm right, right? Exactly. Rather than having God's word, you know, how often do we struggle when we preach God's word of thinking, now how many people are just going to really enjoy what they agree with how many of them are going to allow actually God's word to change our heart on issues? Right. And how many of them are going to get mad and uh, and say, well, you know, pastor sermons aren't as uplifting as they used to be when the law actually does hit them. Right. You know? And that that is a big deal, right? Hate the player, not the game. Exactly. So Title of the episode. <laughs> Don't be a player hater, yo. Indeed. So, you know... <laughs> I, I do think that's why I wanted to do this, because uh, I don't really agree. I don't know. I'm a political party of one, I think, because... <laughs> that, that goes with most you know, things. You're you're a, a one of... I'm an alone wolf, as they, as they say. So, But, you know, I think it is important that when we are going... Because everybody wants to talk about politics. And, like, I was sitting at the... This summer, I was sitting at the uh, the school booth at the fair... And they were asking if I taught, you know, if we taught critical race theory and stuff at the school. And I said no. And then it turned into a big, you know, political talk about, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump and all this other stuff. And it's like, no, like, we should actually be talking about religion. Right. You know? So I, I do think that that is and, something. And also, knowing you is teaching the, the the kids, not what to think, but how to think in some of those things. Right. I mean, because if we're not doing that, then you're just a slave. Right. You know, if you don't know how to apply the Ten Commandments to your life, um, you are a slave, right? Christ sets you free to actually think through right. these things. Now, when I, when I say that, I don't mean what to think. Obviously, you teach what to think when it comes to Scripture. Right. But, at, and, but also to think critically in other areas, not just to be, so they can defend their faith, so that they can right. understand who they are in the place of this world, and uh, and to make good distinctions between things. Right, because I don't want to, you know, I mean, this sort of naive, rah-rah, America, you know, we got our guns and blah, 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 you know, that's not honoring our our authorities either, you know, so, so I hope this, you know, made everybody mad, so. So, Peter, any closing remarks? Well, uh, nothing in specific. I suppose uh, you can, if you have a question about the episode, what we talked about today, uh, or, you know, something else, you can let us know. Feedback at clericalerrors.org is our email. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast, Or we have a Twitter. At me, bro! It's at clericalerrorsp. P Don't be podcast. a player hater. And uh, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash podcast or store. And we have a fantastic store. Store.clericalheirs.org. Uh, it's the probably store is better than the podcast. I, it's probably too late for Christmas at this point. But uh, but you, you get some Christmas coin burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah. 
when after Christmas comes, then right? you, you know where yep. to spend your Christmas money. It's the truth. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for <laughs> listening to the show. I'm Bull Hagen. I'm Berg. I, I don't know. I still don't. We've done this out like 140 times. I still don't know if I'm supposed to say saying I'm Vicar. I'm Peter. All right. And may you neither hate the player nor the game. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.